Everybody and welcome back to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here again to talk to you about games and how they work and how they tell their stories and how they make us feel. And this week we're we're the last couple of weeks actually, we've we've kind of been like plucking at the loose ends that we created uh, a couple of weeks back when we were just kind of getting back into the swing of things and chatting loosely and throwing out a bunch of ideas. Uh, so this is another topic that we brought up very uh very shortly in that episode a couple weeks ago when we came back from our hiatus i want to talk about games that comfortable isn't the right word because i'm going to talk about a couple games that are decidedly uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. uh but games that make you want to spend time there there are some games like obviously you should want to be playing whatever game you're playing because if you're playing a game that you're not having fun with play a different game <laughs> but Please. I, i'm begging you <laughs> yeah uh and don't yell about why the game you're not personally enjoying is bad on twitter uh, just no, like I'll definitely do that <laughs> <laughs> bro i have so many deleted tweets you have oh no God. idea yeah that's what the that's what the draft function is for kids that's what your uh that's what the type out and save for later function is for because then you can go back to it when you're not so so heated and think nah <laughs> But um, there are there are certain kinds of games, and there are, there is a certain I don't even want to say there's a certain variety or a certain aesthetic because like I'm imagining it's going to be different for each people. But for mm-hmm. me, there's a certain breed of game and a certain like atmosphere that a game can develop that just makes me want to spend time in the world, mm-hmm. like not even necessarily playing towards completing the game, just, just kind like of being wandering there. around and enjoying the atmosphere. Yeah, uh, I, there's got to be a better word than atmosphere, but like yeah, I feel but like... I that's that's kind of the 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 best way of putting it that I've I've got with the vocab at my disposal right now. Yeah, and the first one I want to talk about because I've been going back to it again recently uh, is again why I didn't really want to call it pleasant. Like it's this is not a game that I jump into to feel warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, but I've been replaying Sekiro: Shadows Die twice, mm-hmm. and that game, I don't know what it is about it. And like, that's that's a lie. I know a little bit about what it is about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be bringing it up in this podcast that we are right, presenting right. to the world. Um, <laughs> but there there is something about that game that just makes it so much fun for me to like pick up for you know an hour or two at a time. And even if I don't make any forward progress, I still feel like I just had a good time mm-hmm. in that world. And, again, that is not a world that is pleasant. It It's beautiful and grotesque at points because it is a, a FromSoft game. There are yeah. areas with, like, you know, people that have Giant centipedes inside that them. that throw shit at you. Yeah. Uh, but, like, the, the aesthetic of the game is definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful game. It's very, like, painterly, for lack of a better word. Like, it, it's not, you know, some impressionist painting aesthetic. Right. But the way that they use light and the way that they use color gives it a very, like, aesthetically pleasing sense. Mm-hmm. But I think more than that, there's something about, like... And this is this was true to a lesser degree of the, the, the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne as well. Something about the 
the gameplay loop of FromSoft's games, even if I'm not making progress, even if it's like I play for two hours and an hour of that is trying over and over again to beat one boss fight, I never feel like even if that time is not, you know, progressing the game at a rate that would be expected in, you know, any other kind of story-based game, I don't feel like it's time that's being wasted. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for Sekiro in particular, that's because so much of that game is like learning and ingraining into the muscle memory how the different things around you fight and like getting, yeah, yeah. like, you know, getting good to to use the colloquialism but like you know you see the silhouette and you're like okay i know exactly what that enemy is i know what their behaviors are and i know what i need to do to take it down exactly and yeah that that is true of a lot of games but like the fromsoft games are great with this because you know no matter how far into the game you get no matter how good you get no matter how many of the the health upgrades or or strength upgrades or in a dark souls game no matter how good your weapon gets if you fuck up the earliest mobs in the game will kill you. Yeah. So that kind of, like, play as practice feels really good. Like, if you when you come to an area in Sekiro, even if it's an area you've done before, like, there are some areas from the in the very beginning of that game that I have played through multiple, multiple times, and it still feels so good to, gump, to come to them and to get through them cleanly. Mm-hmm. Either stealthily either just like you know remembering and and knowing the best routes through and figuring out like okay i have to take out this guy and then i have to take out this guy because he'll sit like the first guy will see me if i try to take out the second guy first and like managing to do a stealth section well or just like going in you know katana ablaze and managing to handle a tough combat encounter cleanly like it just feels so satisfying in a way that like I occasionally will be like, nah, I don't want to progress. I just want to, like, farm for XP in this zone specifically because this is a really fun encounter mm. to handle. And even if I do it perfectly the first time, the second time I go back to, like, get that little bit of uh, XP towards the next uh, level up point, I might not do it perfectly and I might have to, like, fight my way out or run or, like, I don't know. It's it's rare that a game that is so explicitly story-driven makes me want to replay sections like that yeah oh man i got like i've I've just been thinking about all the games i want to talk about and i gotta <laughs> like narrow them down now yeah because um, that almost it mm-hmm. it reminds me and here I'm, I'm going to hand you a segue that you can ride down the beach on okay uh it reminds me of the little bit that I've played of Final so Fantasy XII. You can ride down the beach on. I don't, I don't fucking know, dude. I'm trying to be entertaining. It's a good, it's a good line. I just had yeah. to call it out. <laughs> but it reminds me of what I've played of Final Fantasy XII, mm-hmm. and like that game. And we've talked about this before about how much you like that game. But what I really enjoyed about it when I was getting to play your copy back when we lived together is it just yeah. feels very like. It's fun to kind of, like, wander in and out of random encounters. Yeah, yeah. It's a very low... I mean, I'm not going to say it's a low-stakes game, because especially the PS2 version of Final Fantasy XII is surprisingly difficult. I always forget that that game came out on the fucking PS2. Yeah, dude, it's wild. Because they've re-released it so many times. (laughs) They only re-released it three times, but it's all based on the same re-release. I'm aware. It's just, like... 
because I first played it on your PS4 and then mm-hmm. like you know 6 months ago it got dropped on the Switch it's yeah. it I forget that it is as old as it is yeah 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 oh my god uh I wasn't even thinking about Final Fantasy 12 when you uh handed me that segue that I'm taking down to the beach yeah. right <laughs> Yeah, oh my god. No, Final Fantasy twelve, I would say, along with Pokemon Gold, was the game oh, that yo, I would yeah. just wander around and enjoy the environment. Um I'm not gonna talk too much about Pokemon Gold, but like to touch on it real briefly. Um Pokemon Gold is the reason why if I ever go to Japan, instead of going to Tokyo, I would rather visit the Kansai region. Uh, because oh my god, all of the historical districts and stuff of Johto it's so good. Like, oh my god. I love the shrines. I love, like, the, uh... You know, there's the Kimono Girl uh, theater. There's the, the fucking lighthouse. Like, I don't know. There's, there's something about Jodo that game did, that's so rustic and charming. And they did such a good job of, like, integrating those set-piece moments that, like, the later Pokemon games would really take and run with in a way that didn't feel overbearing. Yeah. Like... It was just kind of oh. like a hey, if you want to progress, the you know Jasmine, for example, is tending to this sick Pokemon in the lighthouse. Yeah, or like hey, just so you know, this tower is super haunted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like you know, um, you're at this town, you might want to visit Sprout Tower. Yeah, and like yes, you do need to go there to get a mandatory progression item, but like it's not like the story is pushing you there. It's just kind of like a you're in this place explore it because yeah. there's a lot of cool cultural stuff here um and i th- i think pokemon's at its best when it's about the culture of the region yeah 100 percent agree yeah um i touched on that way longer than i expected to which was 20 seconds but anyway <laughs> um anyway to yeah to talk about final fantasy 12 real quick um i uh I'm a Final Fantasy fan, if you couldn't tell. Um, no. And when I, when I <laughs> shut up. When I when I originally played Final Fantasy twelve as like a twelve year old, I was very disappointed in that game because it it wasn't quite what I had just gotten into the Final Fantasy series and like I had built up an expectation of what the games were and I'm like, oh, this is great! I can play the newest one that just came out and it was nothing like anything that came before it because it was directed by. Uh, how am I drawing a blank on the guy's name? It's like one of those names that I can, should just be able to... Uh, Yasumi Matsuno. His writing style is a lot more political, a lot less romantic. And so, you know, that that didn't appeal to me um, at the time. And then I revisited it at the end of high school. And, oh man, that game is really cool. Uh, putting the, the political nature aside, like, that game just has a very detailed world... And the reason why that is, is because instead of being your standard JRPG where you're exploring an entire world, you are kind of relegated to a large region, but it's still just one region of a much bigger world that is implied. And because the scale is so to the ground, I don't, I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is, but like, you know, it's, it's, it, it becomes a bit more intimate. Uh, You learn more details about the places that you go to because those places can be rendered in greater detail. Um, Different cities have distinct 
architecture that is based off of these fictional periods in the game world's history. Uh, you explore tombs, you explore dungeons, uh, like abandoned fortresses, um, and there, there's such a level of detail and care to these places that you visit, and enemies, uh, they have bestiary entries that give you more ideas of this place, and if you kill enough of them, uh, the bestiary gets updated with a random fact about the world, and there's just so much detail, and it's it's so good. I love, I love Final Fantasy XII, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, no, it's it's very cool, and I say that as someone who has, like, scratched the surface of that game. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a very long game, but it never feels like a or, I mean, I guess, like, it has its moments of tedium, but, like, that it's not because of the combat uh, to address last week's yeah. episode. <laughs> um, you know, if your RPG doesn't have, like, if, you know, if the combat is kind of there as, like, a obligation, um, maybe find a way to have the player automate it. And Final Fantasy XII does that, and it's really good. Yeah. And the way that the the thing about that that I love is that's part of what makes it so much fun to spend time in is you can like go in and as much of an oxymoron as this is you you manually automate the combat system and you you are able to use this built-in system in the game to create like subroutines for the AI of like yeah. how you want them to behave and then that takes your hands out of the direct combat but you can still be like paying attention to the combat as it happens and like yeah, using what you necessary. see to yeah adjust and optimize and like they it's an incredibly engaging way of making the combat more hands off which is yeah. a wild thing to say but like they really nail it yeah yeah i also got to talk about metroid prime yeah um, i need more games that are science fiction, but, like, you're exploring abandoned ruins uh, on you, an alien planet. Like, you should play The Outer Wilds. Okay, is that what The Outer Wilds is? I keep the, seeing the name mentioned. The Outer I've Wilds never... is a game about exploring this little solar system in your rickety wooden spaceship and trying to solve... It's... it's I'm gonna say two things that it... it this is not entirely accurate, but it'll get you excited. It's Majora's Mask meets Metroid Prime. Those are two. Bu those are two titles that are big buzzwords for you your have, boy Dylan. You have a a limited amount of time to solve puzzles around this small solar system. At the end of that time, a black hole consumes the solar system, and you reset to the beginning of like your. It's not three days. I don't remember how long it is, but like your game timer. Oh. Yes. And it's incredibly good. That that's actually the next game I was going to talk about, but I'll I'll, I'll okay. get what I had to nice, say nice out segue. really quick. Uh cuz it's just it yeah, it's a game that is it sounds beautiful. You use this like radar gun to pick up frequencies around the solar system that can like lead you to the next place you need to go, and all of those frequencies are mm -hmm. pieces of music. So you're like listening to someone okay. play a banjo on an otherwise deserted planet that you need to go to from like two planets away. And it's incredible. Like it's, oh, it's such so an aesthetically cool. strong game. It is such a beautiful and haunting world to spend time in. And a big part of that is just mm -hmm. like, it's a game about kind of like your Majora's Mask or even your Pokemon Gold and Silver. It's a game about like learning as much as you can about this small 
created world that they've put together for you. Mm. And I love games like that. Now talk more I about like Metroid that. Prime. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess you, you kind of just hit the nail on the head, but I, I, I guess if I could piggyback off of that, yeah. um, I think something that gives Metroid Prime like an extra layer is that like, I mean, I, I don't want to get too deep into Metroid Prime story, but like you are exploring a world of that uh, Samus's foster family migrated to. And that's like that's only a detail of like you're super into Metroid lore or whatever. But like when you know that and. okay, here's another thing that's actually that got retconned out of re-releases of Metroid Prime. Um, (laughs) Metroid Prime story is super weird, but in the original um, GameCube North American release of Metroid Prime, this is the world that Samus's foster family moved to after. Um, the space pirates ran them out before, shortly before the first Metroid game. And that kind of adds a whole extra layer of, like, you're exploring this world, and you're also trying, you're also learning how, like, this alien race that um, Samus has come to love has progressed after they had split and went their separate ways. And... You know, on top of that, there's, like, the the exploration. There's trying to figure out what happened because there's all these dialogue entries of a calamity. Um, there's learning to love or navigate around the various flora and fauna of Talon 4 as the name of the planet. Metro Prime is, oh my god, it, it's such a comfy game. That is, like, a definitive it's... comfort game for me. Yeah, no, it is so much fun, and it's so, like... I've, I'm sure I have said this at, at some other point on this show, but I love a game that makes you feel like you're not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. I love a game that feels like a fully realized place that you just happen to be in. Yeah. Uh, Hollow Knight does this also really well. Like Hollow Knight's whole aesthetic and world and the way that it tells its story and the way that like you have to kind of piece stuff together to figure out what exactly is going on. Like, I understand that that style of storytelling is not for everyone, but I love the way that it feels like just like, oh, you happened upon these ancient ruins. Like, you, the player, mm-hmm. are not... Even even though, as the story goes on, the character you're controlling, you know, is very important and does have deep ties to what's going on. Yeah, I you, mean, the you player the don't thing feel about that Metroid way. Prime. Exactly, yeah. Like, it is a game Um, that is more about the place that it takes place in than it is about you as mm -hmm. an individual. And I love, like, games like that almost always fall into this category for me of games that I just, like, I just want to wander around and Mm -hmm. see what I can find and, like, explore every nook and cranny. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Last thing I was going to say about, like, this kind of tangent before moving on to my next game. I have never played Fantasy Star Online. Um, I also this. Well, no, I'm thinking of a different game. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I was thinking of Star Ocean for some reason. <laughs> I can I can kind of see where where you'd come from uh, with that. I never knew you played Star Ocean though. That's, that's I I played. It it is incorrect to say I played Star Ocean. I played Star Ocean like one night hanging out at Coop's house when we were in high school. That's what I figured. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me. That that's very on brand for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, I I emulated anyway. A Fantasy bit Star, Star Ocean freshman year. Yes. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Fantasy Star Online is a game that I've never played, but basically you're a bunch of uh, Earth expatriates looking for a new planet to colonize because that's all we ever do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you find an abandoned planet. Uh, there's alien ruins, and you go there and you're investigating what happened or whatever. I've never played this game, um, but the art is something that has captivated me. And it's it kind of it, the the art for uh, Fantasy Star Online is done by the guy who did the environment art for Sonic Adventure, and so it kind of has that similar like Dreamcast charm to it. But it also has like that if you remember, Chris, there's like a bunch of Mayan ruins. Um, yeah, in yeah. Sonic Adventure, and then Sonic Adventure Two has uh, takes place in outer space. But as you get to the core of this uh, space station kind of brings back that Mayan architecture and it creates something very alien um, and very fantastical. And Fantasy Star Online is that aesthetic. And, oh boy, that is Dylan's Y2K aesthetic. <laughs> like, circa early 2000s. Boy, do I love that. So, like, you know, from what I understand, the the game has a very similar appeal where, yes, it is massive multiplayer online Diablo 2, but make it anime. But like That doesn't sound terrible though. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like having the backdrop to that be this these alien ruins that you are the where the flavor is, you're an explorer trying to figure out what happened on this world and whether or not it is safe to inhabit. Oh boy, man, that that checks a lot of boxes. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Hey, before we jump into that next game you said you were going to talk about. That playbill? Why don't we do the playbill? We, it's we been remember, a minute. Let's remember how our show is structured. Come along, everyone. Join me there. We're here in the playbill now. This is the section for those of you who have forgotten, like we did for two weeks, uh, where we talk about other stuff that's going on, other sh things we're in, other things we're involved in, and other stuff that we think you should check out. So, Dylan, speaking of sci-fi anime bullshit, tell me about your other podcast. Um, well, we haven't updated it in a while, but uh, Coop said he was going to edit some of the episodes. We're talking about Dude, You Remember Macross. That is D-U-D-E, as in Dude, Where's My Car? Fuck you, Chris. <laughs> um... And, uh, yeah, we, we talk about the old 80, 1980s sci-fi anime, uh, Macross, and that shows about a lot of things. It's about pop culture, it's about what makes us human, um, how we interact with one another, and it's, it's really cool stuff, and I watch it with Coop, who I really didn't know all that well before we started the show, but we got real buddy-buddy, uh, <laughs> when he, when he pitched the idea to me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm super glad we, we went on this journey together. Uh, it sounds like I'm about to propose to him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am. Who Listen Who to knows? find out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but anyway, if, if you want to check that out, you can find us on anchor.fm slash dude you remember. Uh, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Um, you can also find us on our Facebook page or on our Twitter at dude you remember. Um, and so, 
yeah, again, we haven't uploaded in a while, but we have a massive backlog of episodes, and we're gonna we're gonna try to get those out. Um, oh, I yeah. proposed doing a side series uh, just so we can put out content in the meantime, but uh, we're still talking about that. Yeah, you should also go check out our uh, another show that features both Dylan and me. It's called Unexplored Places. It's a great actual play podcast. We're currently running in a sci-fi adventure using the scum and villainy game system. Uh, and it is an honestly just incredibly great time. Uh, we have a blast recording. The last several episodes that have gone up have been incredible, uh, which I can say because I wasn't in them. So that's not tooting my own horn. That's listening to <laughs> Dylan and our castmates and Game Master all be incredible at what they do. But you should listen to it. It's a great show if you like sci-fi. Also, if you like horror and uh more like monster of the week cryptid stuff you should listen to the first season which used a game system called monster of the week to tell ooky spooky creature stories uh either way you should listen to them you can find them on online at unexploredcast.libsyn.com or on twitter at unexploredcast um what do i have to plug i don't think i personally have a ton to plug right now i'm in a couple of other podcasts that you can find well hell Follow me on Twitter at CJWilsonVA if you want to know about other stuff that I'm in because there's a handful, but none of them are like currently releasing. So I will tweet about those as they happen. Uh, you should also follow Dilla, Dylan on Twitter at the underscore Dilla, T H A underscore D I L A. Uh, did I say underscase? I think I said underscase. Sure you did. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, follow us on Twitter if you want to know more about the stuff that we're in outside of. Uh, what we do and also you should if you like our show and want to help support this show and make it the best it can be uh, we have a patreon patreon.com slash bsgpod where we are you know getting the money that allows us to not be losing money making this show which is incredible thank you yeah thank you so much to all of our amazing patrons and if you like the show and want to support us patreon.com slash bsgpod is a great way to do just that Uh, anything else for you dylan not currently. I I might have something to say later, but uh, you know, it's it's nothing big. Hey, any anything is big. Everything is cause for celebration in this weird career we're in. That's you know what. That's fair. <laughs> so anyway, we'll. Uh, I, I I look forward to hearing what you have to talk about. Uh, but until then, let's get back into the meat of the episode. So Dylan, what uh, what else did you have? For me. You said you had another game to jump into. Yeah. Uh, so, Zelda's a big fucking franchise. Hell yeah, it is. Um, And every Zelda game kind of has an aesthetic, and they nail it, and I love it. And I'm just yeah. going to kind of I'm gonna kind of walk through them real quick, or like my impressions of them. So, okay. uh, Zelda 1 is like fine, but I think Zelda 2 really kind of nail, like that in Shining's, uh, Shining Force kind of nail my ideal late 80s early 90s fantasy aesthetic hey dylan i i want you to know that i'm with you on this controversial take i love zelda 2 so much zelda 2's fucking great zelda Don't 2 gets me. a lot of flack zelda 2 kicks ass yeah if you you like, are only allowed to at me if it's to talk about how kino zelda 2 is yeah like you need to i think that the the problem with zelda 2 and this is gonna i'm gonna i'll keep this super brief because this is not what we're talking about right right but I think the reason Zelda 2 gets so much flack is because it is so different. It's so different from Zelda 1, and it's so different from Link to the Past. Yeah. And I think that because it was, like, so fundamentally its own weird thing, 
I'm just gonna it butt in a- real quick and say it's funny that you say that because a link to the past borrows about as much from Zelda two as it does Zelda one. Oh, but, like, I agree with you. I think it totally it does. That. It's just the format. Right, Like, the format of Zelda 2 is so fundamentally different from every other Zelda game that it's easy to look at it and be like, well, that's not a real Zelda game. They they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, But when you play it and you approach it for, like, what it is actually trying to do, it kicks ass. so good. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah, sorry. It's one of my favorite NES games. I love it. But anyway, uh, yeah, so... Zelda 2 is great. Uh, a Link to the Past is also really good. Uh, yeah. When I when I look at that, I actually when I look at the character sprites and stuff, I actually kind of think of like a Jim Henson like Willow or the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Um, like very much like that kind of genre yeah, of fantasy. I've been film. recently replaying like not consistently, but I every now and then I'll I'll fire up the the SNES emulator on the Switch and play mm-hmm. a little bit of of. Link to the Past, because that is such a, just like... <laughs> oh, buddy, it, I, I started playing that, and then I was like, alright, I beat the game. Oh, I am eight pieces of heart away from 100%ing this game. I don't <laughs> oh, 100%... Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, I don't 100% a lot of games, but I, like, A Link to the Past is the first and only Zelda game I have 100% completed. That's fair. Man, I love that game. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess to, to keep going, uh, down the list, uh, Ocarina of Time is Ocarina of Time, uh, where, like, they were able to take the models and then just kind of fit it into a more anime aesthetic. Uh, I, I think I read in, um, one of the Zelda tomes that were released over the past couple years that, uh, what they basically did was they made the models first and then they had artists do renditions of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And that's kind of where, like, the, the packaging's more anime aesthetic kind of comes from. Oh, that's kind of rad. Yeah, I, I, I definitely dig it. Majora's Mask is the same thing, except make it gloomier, and I love both of those. Uh, and then Wind Waker's great, Twilight Princess is great, Skyward Sword, they're, they're all great, but I'm not gonna go on each and every one of those, because I feel like those have been talked about a lot more. Um, I fucking love the artwork for the Oracle of Seasons, specifically. Um, and that's the one I really want to talk about. Okay. Because Oracle of Seasons is a game completely about, you know, the seasons. And you can change the seasons. And what that does is that completely changes, like, whatever location you're visiting. It changes the color palette. It changes properties of the world. So, like, a tree that might have been, you know, a tree that will have been uh, dead and wilted in winter might be full of life in summer or spring. And there's there's a bunch of tiny things like that. Um, there are certain items or environmental uh, things that can only be used during certain seasons. Um, you can walk on top of like snow, like a a, a build up mound of snow uh, that can like lead you from one area to another that you couldn't use in other seasons, um, and just just stuff like that. But less so that uh, than the traversal aspect of that. It's just really nice to like admire the different uh, seasons in game because they, yeah. they are yeah. depicted with a lot of artistry. I love that game. It, it's so fucking cozy, and I also it's... love uh, some of the earlier Harvest Moon games that do the same thing with its with their color palettes. Yeah, it's it's delightful. Hey, here's my hot Zelda take. Okay, I think that as a whole, like not even talking about individual games, but like looking at all of them. I think that I just straight up prefer the 
the Zelda games that have been released on handheld to the Zelda games that have been released on home console. I, you know what? I don't think that's a hot take. I, th- I mean, I think it's a hot take, but I don't think it's as hot as you're probably afraid it might be. Okay, that's good um, to know. Because, <laughs> like, I, I genuinely think that most, if not all, of the handheld Zeldas are better designed than the console Zeldas, except A Link to the Past, which is kind of that weird middle ground. Yeah. Um, where like it, a- is, it is an old console game, but, like, it also has the DNA of the portable games that follow. Yeah. Because, like, thinking, as you were talking about Zelda, I was like, man... I love just spending time in Link's Awakening. Like, Link's Awakening might be my favorite Zelda game. <laughs> that's, you know what, that's fair. Um, Cause, like, I could never get into it, but I think that's just because, like, I, every time I've played it, I haven't re- really, like, sat down and, like, invested myself in it. This is fair. I just, like, there's something about it, and I think, again, like, my, a big part of, like, what I love about games is I love games that, like I mentioned with like, The Outer Wilds, and this applies to, like, Pokemon Gold and Silver as well. Mm -hmm. I love games that feel like these tightly wound little, like, puzzle boxes. Yeah. That are just there for you to kind of, like, twist and turn and understand through trial and error and playing around with. Yeah. And because of that, I love, like, that's the thing I love the most about Link's Awakening is they, in condensing the world so much into, like, this one honestly pretty small island mm-hmm. oh yeah the you're dense... playing the switch remake aren't you i'm yeah I'm, i've been playing okay. the switch remake i played the the original like way long ago because mm-hmm. i had a, a hand-me-down original game boy <laughs> um but like in making it so much smaller the density of like stuff to figure out and stuff to stumble upon is so high that like you can easily just like rabbit hole yourself just, like, pick up the game and run into something and, like, spend five or ten minutes trying to figure out, you know, is this even something I'm equipped to do yet? And if not, better hold on to this location in my head and remember it when I, you know, pick up a new piece of gear or something. And I just, I love that kind of game, and I love those games that, like, they they might not reward you in, like, actual progress, but they reward you in, like, I now know a path that will be available to me later. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hurt that the Switch remake, uh, just, like, the aesthetic of that game and that, like, almost claymation-like look is just absolutely beautiful. Like, yeah. that is one of the best-looking games on the Switch. It's so pretty. <laughs> anyway, that's that's my Zelda contribution. Like, I, yeah. And I think you're right. I think just Zelda games in general, like, they all are so committed to their aesthetic that, like, all of them have worlds that are very fun to explore. and they And they know that, which is why they have things like, you know all the pieces of heart that you have to go out and collect right. or like the skull tullas in, in Ocarina of time or uh, like the Poe souls in twilight princess. Like they all have, they really want out you to there. leave no stone unturned. Yeah. And they, so they, they see the world with these things that you are, that you know are there, but the real reason they're doing that is just to encourage you to go out and explore the world mm-hmm. because they know that that's the draw of the game. I feel like I have a couple more topics of interest yeah uh, i feel like I, I had another one that is now gone for me but it'll come back in a ah, bit damn. i'm sure yeah i hope so i don't want to repeat of last week yeah <laughs> um i would hey, if i gonna... forget about something i wanted to say because we're having a good conversation about something else i consider that a podcasting win hey you know what that's fair so yeah i wanted to talk about uh two games actually i'll yeah. talk about uh devil may cry and then kind of transition to castlevania aria of sorrow 
Or maybe I'll do it the other way around. I don't know. Uh, so Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. Really, the Castlevania series as a whole, but Aria of Sorrow was my first, so I'm going to pick that one. There's something really fun about visiting what should be a gothic castle that is teeming with life, and not just teeming with life, but that life is a monster mash. It's it, And it's not like Netflix Castlevania, where, like, they're, you know, demons or the hordes of hell or whatever. It's like, oh, look, there's the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, it's, and, it's all, like, universal movie monsters. Yeah, or, yeah, there's the mummy. There's, uh... <laughs> there's the, Brendan Fraser. There's big old Boris Karloff Frankenstein just yucking it up over there. Um, and so... You know, in addition to various uh, mythology, folklore, uh, what have you, whatever we can think of to put in this castle, we'll do it. Which I think includes like Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, say like there's a Cthulhu enemy type. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, have you you've have you seen uh, the Unraveled where he rates all of the Castlevania monsters in order yes. from least to most sexy? Yes, <laughs> like. The the breadth of source material for the monsters in that series is incredible. Yeah. Like, you've got your universal movie monsters, you've got monsters from, like, folklore from around the world. Like, it's really wild, and it makes that game feel so, like, frenetic and weird, and, like, you never know what's going to be behind the next door. Right. Absolutely. I, I remember there's a time-stopping bunny that's basically the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, except he has Dio's power of stopping time. You know, so anyway, I, I think there, there's something really fun about that. And it's just like picturing like, I don't know, as, as a kid, I would always think like, okay, so if I was Dracula and if I owned this castle, ironic considering this is Castlevania Aria of Sorrow, what would life here have been like? It's like a fuck, it's... It's that scene at the end of Night at the Museum where they're just blasting September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> That's just what I imagine. And, like, there, there's something so fun about, like, going to the ballroom and seeing a bunch of ghosts just dancing around. I, you know, I, I could list examples all day, but I, I think you get, like, the general yeah, gist of what yeah. I'm going uh, for. There, there's just something so, not just campy, but, like, also lively about um castlevania and then on the flip side we have uh dmc1 devil may cry 1 which uh this is non-negotiable devil may cry 1 has the best setting in the series don't at me (laughs) um devil may cry 1 takes place on a island called malay island where a bunch of spanish colonizers lived but i guess the, the malay island also has like a rift that leads to hell and so like it's been weakening and you have these uh diary entries of conquistadors slowly going mad um it's it's very much a resident evil game and as you are exploring the the castle there's like these very like the the atmospheric music that plays is uh very dour Am I using the word dour right? I don't know. I think so. Okay. It's it's very dour and eerie, but, like, occasionally you'll hear, like, a couple notes sprinkled in from, like, what sounds like a ball, and you're like, people lived here once, and, and there's that constant feeling of that. And as you, playing as Dante, you're trying to unravel the way to hell so you can go in there and, like, take care of the demon you were hired to kill. 
And as you do that, the, the castle morphs and architecture slowly starts pulsing like it's organic. And oh my god, it's so creepy. I love <laughs> it. The first Devil May Cry is, you know, even if in your opinion it's like the weakest, you, the listener, not not Chris. I don't yeah. think you have too much of a stake in this, Chris. Not particularly. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, even if you think it's like the, the weakest mechanically or whatever, I definitely think it has the best atmosphere and you know that that setting is something that really stands the test of time yeah i i don't know there's there's a lot of games from like that early 3d era and now i'm thinking specifically of like you know a whole genre that makes me feel this way Mm -hmm. collectibups oh yes 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 mario 64 stroke sunshine stroke galaxy stroke odyssey right um banjo kazooie jack and daxter crash bandicoot ratchet and clank sly cooper oh man they're all so good yeah like there's something about any game like that where it's just like hey here's a big world full of fun platforming challenges go pick everything up like something about that just like appeals to a like the little like gremlin in the back of my head that's like yes I do want to collect all of them. Yes, I want all eight red coins. <laughs> yes, I want to pick up every one of the figments and psychonauts. Like there's something like and when you couple it then with the art style and the aesthetic that so many of those games had, like not any single one but just like how strong for example psychonauts or Sly Cooper how strong those games are in their aesthetic. You're presented with this absolutely beautiful, unique feeling space for you to jump around in like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that for three hours at a time? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're super right. And I think another thing is each platformer kind of had its own flavor. Um, yeah. yeah. Banjo-Kazooie is like very Saturday morning cartoon type of vibe. Jack and Daxter feels very, I, I want to say like Zelda, but make it a bit more tropical. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Link's Awakening, but you know. What I mean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sly Cooper, you're a thief. You're an international. You're Lupin, and you know that kind of adds this whole layer of like sneakiness. But you also feel like you're being kind of cunning, even though you're just uh, running around collecting clue bottles. There's just, yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff in, in it's those so games. great, and I I love so much. Um, just like to plug one of my favorite games of all time, Psychonauts does this so well for me because I love the like unhinged cartooniness of that mm. world, and the way that that then is is twisted even further in each of the different like dream sequences you go into. And we finally have that gameplay trailer for Psychonauts two, and I'm so fucking oh, excited! Finally? Oh my god! Have you not seen it? No, I haven't. It's been oh. it's been years, dude. It's since that got announced. I it I, looks gorgeous. I thought it was dead. It I'm looks, happy it's not. <laughs> I'll I'll send you the link for you to watch after we're done. Right. But it looks. So it looks just as weird and funky and bizarre as I want it to. And I'm so excited that it's finally like approaching reality. Maybe so. <laughs> but like I will I will spend so much time in that game once it comes out. If it comes out, please don't go the way of Half-Life 3. Right. Oh, I, I guess I should throw out um and this isn't a game series that's particularly near and dear to my heart, but 
shout out to Assassin's Creed for having a mode that's just like, here you can enjoy the environment and look at this historically rendered depiction of what we think ancient Egypt might have been like. I love that so much. And yeah. there was a period where they were giving... I don't know if they're still doing this, but there was a period where they were giving game codes of Assassin's Creed Origins, the one in ancient Egypt, mm -hmm. to educators yes. for free. Like, they were giving teachers access to game codes for it. That it, it only included that... Uh, I think it was it was called like museum mode or mm -hmm. something like that. So it wasn't the full game. It was just the museum mode. But they were like, hey, here's a code. Let your kids wander around ancient Egypt. And like they put like, you know, little icons of like stand here and hit the button prompt and we'll have someone narrate to you about like what this byreme in the river was for. Oh, that's so cool. And it's it's fucking great. And they did the, they did a similar thing for uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, too. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's such a brilliant thing because like they they had something similar in the earlier assassin's creed games like when you came to a notable location you could hit yeah, a button you, you could like it would look pull up, up stuff yeah it would pull up like the civipedia yeah uh but turning it into a whole game mode is so brilliant i hadn't even been thinking about that that's a great great pull dylan it, it, it just popped into my head and i'm like yeah i i think more games should have that honestly because you know, sometimes I just want to explore neat environments, man. Yeah. No, I think that I I would love to see more games. Like, give me something like a like a collect them up, but just like throw in alternate things and alternate things to do, and like turn off the hazards and just let me like, you know, put a flag way up on a hill that's hard to get to, and let me see if I can do it, or like mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I I love games that are able to provide like different forms of engagement like that that feels like a good a good place to wrap i think as well. so too yeah this was a fun topic I, I i didn't fully know how much we'd get out of this but this turned into just like a very fun thing to think about yeah and now i want to go play more Link's awakening <laughs> <laughs> uh but before i can do that we need to wrap up so Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you uh, learned something new, maybe found a new game to think about. What are some of your favorite games to just spend time in? What are some of your favorite games to, like, not even, like, play to play, but just to, like, play to experience? Tell us on uh, tell us on Twitter. Tell us on Facebook. Tell us wherever. And Dylan will tell you all the places to put that. But until next week, remember that you can find out anything you want to know about our show by heading to bsgpod.com. You can find a contact form if you want to reach out to us. You can find info about me and Dylan or about the show. Uh, you should also go and wherever you're getting us, whether that's through iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who will listen. If you're anything like me, you want to be talking to people because, boy, howdy, the world is not what it used to be and human... <laughs> Human interaction is at a premium right now, so go tell someone about a podcast. So, um, yeah, if you want to find us, uh, you can visit us on Facebook, on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And, you know, we have a YouTube. I, I know I, I've been saying that I'll do something with it. I just... Yeah, and I, I, should start re I should start uploading stuff to that again, but, you know. <laughs> I, I have a couple ideas what things we can do. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on doing a Let's Play? <laughs> I am not against it. We'd have to figure out how to do it, but I'm not. I don't hate it. I yeah. don't hate the idea. I uh, I mean, like, streaming seems to have been working pretty successfully, and I can definitely do the editing for the um, audio to video. Stuff. Hey, I, I'd be down. Let's let's chat. Let's yeah. let's rap about that. Let's rap about that. Well, we'll start with like a short game. Just 
but you know, we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, Look forward to the future, listeners. Maybe, hopefully, knock on wood. But uh, you know, that's that's for the future. For now, I need to give a shout out to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. It's great stuff, and he makes great stuff. So if you want to find him, you can find him on his Squarespace at Brennan-French.squarespace.com, where his name is spelled B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French dot squarespace.com or you can find him on instagram.com slash brennan french arts you can also find him on his twitter where his handle is at brennan underscore french you should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. Uh, he's a great musician. He gr- creates great electronica, and you can find all of his music by going to Spotify and searching for BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or by going to soundcloud.com slash BioQuery. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great group of video game-related podcasts, and if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs, too. So go check them out on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork, where they retweet all of the shows. And again, one more big thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It means the world to us that we have the support that we do from you guys, and we really appreciate all of that. And if you like the show and want to help us do it more and do it better, you should go check out patreon.com slash bsgpod. That's all I got for this week. Anything to leave the people with, Dylan? Yes, actually. Um, I completely forgot, uh, but my friend Mike posted this on Facebook yesterday, and it just felt uh, relevant. Might do something wacky and break down my entire physical molecular structure and transfer that energy so I can feed it into a Super Nintendo and exist in the secrets of Mana World. Anyone want in? (laughs) I'm going to go figure out how to do that. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) 